So, hey, Ryan, do you mind if I take a second at the start of the show to do a little something? Oh, no, please, yeah. All right. I wanted to take this minute uh, and this very important moment uh, to wish Phil Schiller a very happy birthday. Oh, is that today? I think it was Monday, but apparently we just take the time out of uh, to give birthday shout-outs now. Oh, yeah. No, we do. We do. That's that's our thing. We Well, we just kind of, you know, we look at what, the, what Apple's doing in their keynotes, and we just kind of model the show after that. So does that mean I have to start wearing uh, extravagant cuffs and do and salsa dancing on the show? It does, yeah. And we also need to uh, do more Siri demos that don't work. What Siri demo didn't work? One of uh, one of the demos that Eddie Q did during the Apple Music um, demo didn't work. Uh, he, a- he asked for a song. I forget which one. I mean, he, he played oh, like I remember. songs. And it was one where he was asking for, you know, the uh, Selma movie about Martin Luther King. That's and it played right. a completely unrelated song, which was <laughs> unfortunate. I mean, if you do, you know, if you do 20 Siri demos in a segment, you're bound to at least have one go sideways. Yeah. The only thing that I thought was weird about that, and again, we'll, we'll go into deeper, um, uh, greater detail on this later, but uh, like the, the latency with Siri... Like which I th- I assume Apple plans under ideal circumstances was still like kind of bad. It, well, you know it, it's funny because there were a couple of instances where they used Siri where it worked much much faster than I've ever seen it, and I was kind of like, huh, I bet they're they're doing something under the covers there. But then you're right, there were other moments where it was like, oh yeah, no, th- this is exactly how Siri works, and it's kind of there's like this uncomfortable pause where you know you don't know if it's going to work and. Which, you know, that's exactly how Siri works works in the real world, so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what order do you want to take this in? Well, I just, you know, before we dive in, I actually have a little something, too. Um, I, I had, a, I had <laughs> an idea. Have you a bit prepared? <laughs> not, not, a, not a bit so much. It's just, um, you know, it's your show, so I, I, you know, of course, let you start it. But I, I had an idea for starting the show as well. <laughs> this could be like a choose-your-own-adventure thing. Okay. Yeah, you know, kind of like an, instead of like an alternate ending, like some movies and things have, this is like an alternate beginning. That's pretty, that'd be a pretty good name for a show. I'm going to trademark that. <laughs> anyway, um, no, I was going to ask you if um, this evening you enjoyed a uh, Hot Dog Bites pizza from Pizza Hut. Wait, no, that's not a thing, is it? No. Oh, no. yeah. That's what it's called. No, Wait, that was an actual thing? <laughs> oh, oh, is it? No, what? I thought that was just a, a like a, just a, like somebody made like a goofy food item. Oh, you are in for a treat here, sir. The, no. check, the, check out the check out the slack. No, no, this this was a real thing. Ooh, <laughs> wait, no, hold on. don't say that you think it looks good. No, it's just. Do you remember the picture that floated around the internet earlier, which was not this, but was something similar? No, hold on. I, I think I sent this to you. Okay, well, while you're finding that, let me let me just give some context for somebody you know who or anyone who you know somehow avoided. Oh, this, dude, the this pretzel news. one. Yeah, so this is um, this is a new pizza that's that's legitimately coming out from Pizza Hut. Uh, evidently, starting uh, it looks like June 18th. Can I stop you real quick? This. Uh, yeah, sure. Didn't they just say they were getting rid of all fake products? Is this made of real food? <laughs> well, no. So that was. Uh, <laughs> That was Taco Bell, which actually I think is owned by the same parent company, but that's besides the point. Um, there was actually there was a good tweet about that, which made reference to the fact that while other fast food chains are, you know, going somewhat more in a healthy direction, Pizza Hut is kind of like, well, we're we're going we're going the other way. Um, so yeah, so this is a, this is evidently coming out June eighteenth, and 
you know, um, as Dan Benjamin says, you know, uh, what is it? Radio is the uh, theater of the mind. I'll kind of try to describe what this looks like. So this is a pizza where instead of a regular crust, it has 28 mini hot dogs. And each of these hot dogs is surrounded by what I presume is pizza crust or alternatively, you can get it surrounded by what look like pretzels, like soft pretzels. So they're like they're like little pigs in a blanket, I guess. Um, and that you know, I, I don't I don't really know what else to say. Oh, oh boy, this is um, what you just sent me in the Slack is is highly disturbing. Is that is that also a real thing? I assume it's not photoshopped. It doesn't look terribly high quality. <laughs> this this on- is like what you sent me here. This is like um, a knockoff where. There's a pig in a blanket for the crust, but then, you know, each slice of pizza is a full-size hot dog instead of uh, these little mini ones, like on the the official Pizza Hut version. Okay, so like eight different things with this. So when you when you sent me the Darth thing, I, I, I honestly thought he was referring to this. I had I totally missed whatever important memo that I... That yeah, so we, you know, we should this. we should give the folks some context here. So if you're not following Darth on Twitter, I mean, first of all, shame on you, and second of all, go go follow Darth on Twitter because it'll just make your life better, really. Um, and he he or she, we don't we don't know, uh, um, went on a I probably like six or seven tweet kind of spiel about this today, and that's fairly rare for Darth. Usually, you'll get maybe two or three tweets at the most on a topic. But, you know, he or she went on this for a while today, and I, I just just was busting up laughing with each one. I mean, how, like, you know, one, one of the points that, that Darth brought up was, I mean, how do, you, how do you even cut this thing? What do you mean, how do you cut it? I mean, how do you, like, do you cut in between the little hot dogs? Like, do, Probably. You, do you take the hot dogs off? But then also, as Darth pointed out, then do you sort of just compromise the integrity of the pizza? You do it with a laser. <laughs> uh, god the pretzel one looks <laughs> well the, so the pretzel one too it should be pointed out comes with uh a side of yellow mustard dipping sauce okay, and actually no the, no no that's not happening the regular version actually might too it's kind of hard to tell in this picture but so is this going to be served at the french launch like is there is there a way that somebody can turn this into a high class thing no i don't think like, so. like what's what's your favorite fancy restaurant somebody's got to make this I know. I don't. I don't believe so. Although we are, you know, in somewhat of a like combining hot dogs with regular food renaissance. I also just saw a commercial yesterday. That okay, that before. doesn't count. Charles uh, Charles Jr. Carlos Jr. Oh, should, you knew you knew what I was going to be talking about because yeah. I watch professional sports. Unfortunately, oh, was that, it, it was during the NBA game. You're right. Carlos Jr. needs to not exist. It, it's it's they have the worst advertising this the most horrible misogynistic advertising gross terrible food no that needs to go away the, the frito and hot dog pizza needs no. wait there's there's fritos on it too yes that's the whole point of it, it it's it says like the whole ad is uh, america why not it has potato chips or like fritos and sliced hot dogs inside it, a burger it, isn't it called like the american burger or something it does or it is <laughs> Just, just no, we're not. We're not. There are two things that I'm going to officially ban from this podcast, which is uh, talking about uh, Carl's Jr. or Arby's. So we're just cutting that off right now. Yeah, I don't. You know, I've never been to an Arby's. 
John Stewart has made it so that I never will. <laughs> oh God! You're, you watch the Daily Show enough where I, you're familiar with his little like vendetta against them for no oh, good reason. Unfortunately, yes, it's the best. Uh, now there there are certain uh, segments that I I can't get out of my head. The only thing with this is like I, I know this looks gross and it's probably terrible for you, but I am just su- such a sucker for um, pretzel anything. Um, hmm. I I don't agree with that. I love pretzels. So are you talking about a soft pretzel? A soft pretzel, of course. So like, do you go to like what is it, Annie's Pretzels, or what? What is it in the the, the malls? There's I think it's Aunt Annie's, and then oh. there's also Wetzel Pretzel, which I think is more of a Southern California thing. Uh, did you do you have a preference between the two? I I don't. I just you just want whatever's just, available. I love pretzels. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't know this about you. You don't enjoy pretzels? I think everybody does. I I don't I don't I don't dislike pretzels, but I. I I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm a pretzel fan. Would you do a pretzel over? Would you do a churro over a pretzel? Oh, hundred percent. You're the, you're a terrible human being. That's oh, the wrong well, choice. No, I, I just completely disagree. Wrong. I've actually had a cinnamon sugar pretzel before. It was like a churro, but in okay, pretzel but form. But that sounds gross. No, it was actually decent. <laughs> I don't remember when that was, but um, <laughs> it's like Phoenix Airport. Now, you know what actually I prefer, speaking of airports and, and bad food, what I, what I prefer is a, uh, a Cinnabon. You heard of this? I'm going to hang up. <laughs> so Louis C.K. has this. Yeah, really, he does. He has this really funny bit where he talks about how arguably the saddest thing in life is going to a Cinnabon at an airport, particularly if it's the airport, like you're, you're arriving airport. So you're just short, shortly going to be home and you you make the decision to instead go to a Cinnabon um so we some friends and I had watched that bit before we went on a vacation last summer and uh made it a point to to go to a Cinnabon at the airport we we went to the one on our our way out so we we didn't quite take it all the way down but um yeah so eating Cinnabon does make you feel pretty terrible about yourself but it's also delicious no they they literally just serve so instead of getting the actual full size cinnabon, you can just get a box that has like little mini cinnabons in it, and they come in packs like obscene amounts. It's like six, twelve, or eighteen, and it, it, they're just literally balls of dough that are just covered in some type of sugar sauce. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not gonna no. Moving on, what has happened to the show? So just 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 to be just to clarify, I I started this program by talking about <laughs> relevant, timely, Apple news on on a technology program, and you turned this into the uh, terrible food hour. Is so, that that maybe that's our next show? Have you oh, again? Not not uh, okay. We're gonna we'll get back to technology, but have you ever seen the uh, the Great British Baking Challenge? No. What channel is that on? Uh, it's on PBS, uh, generally on the weekends. So whenever you can't find anything on TV to watch, um, you can watch that. And it's just a bunch of uh, British people baking for two really unhappy people. Why are the people unhappy? Uh, because they don't ever think that it's ever cooked properly. It's it's a seemingly polite 70-year-old British woman and a guy who kind of looks like the British Guy Fieri. And it's, it is definitely uh, worth watching. There's a there's a British version of Guy Fieri. Kind of like he's more dignified, like as you'd expect. Well, is that, I mean, yeah, I was gonna say, is that is that terribly difficult to do? Like he doesn't have like frosted tips like American <laughs> Guy Fieri does. 
Oh, oh, right. I've been I've been super into um, Chopped. the The lady friend and I have been watching a lot of that recently. I can't get into that because it seems just like a, a crappy Top Chef. No, it's 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 great. It's not because the food never really seems that good. It's got, um, like the host is. It just doesn't. Oh, don't don't say don't say negative things about Ted Allen. Come on now. He's fine, but he's. I just don't like the 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 um. Yeah, I, I've tried many times to get into it, and I I just can't. Top Chef, I can deal with, but no. Hmm. And last lastly, uh, before we talk about technology, have you ever seen? <laughs> a, 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 this is a genuine like recommendation. Have you ever seen a, a program on P, on KQED called Check Please Bay Area? No, it's a fantastic program that uh, recommends local Bay Area spots uh, with like just regular people on there. So. I'm gonna um, check, please, Bay Area. I'm gonna in, in the tab that I currently have this pizza pizza thing. I, I'm gonna, gonna replace it. <laughs> replace that with check, please, Bay Area. It's it's very good. It's just they invite three people on. They each uh, suggest that the uh, other folks go to their favorite restaurant, and you get some uh, some good picks. So oh, if I you're like, looking for I, new, I like this. Yeah. So in it and it comes on usually uh right before the Great British Baking Challenge. <laughs> Great. All right, so we're 20 minutes in and haven't said a word <laughs> about technology. Oh man, but we're 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 giving the people so much valuable information. Sure. <laughs> you know, as as we've said many times on the show, you know, we're we're here to help you. You know, you being the listener. I I'm, I'm talking to you the listener. I'm breaking the the third wall, uh, as they say. Or yeah. was it the fourth wall? I forget. Um breaking one of those walls. No idea. <laughs> All right. So, do you want to talk about sports? <laughs> oh, we should actually. Yeah, we should. Um, so, do you want to check in on Giants baseball or uh, whatever's going on with the Warriors? Let's do the the Giants baseball first. So that that was great last night. Uh, Chris Heston, rookie pitcher uh, for the Giants this year, he's been pitching really well. Although Except- I saw him at a game last week against the Pirates, and he he was he was terrible. He's actually the only I think the second pitcher they said in Major League Baseball history to throw less than four innings in the start preceding the start in which they threw a no hitter, which as I was at the game where he threw less than four innings. So great. Uh, but yeah, last night against the New York Mets, no hitter. Well, um, it was definitely a hitter because he hit three people, but yeah. So the, the only thing prov- I don't know, I don't that Mars he, it. I don't think he walked anybody. So I think the only thing well, no, he did because he, he hit three people with pitches. Well, but I'm walk uh, based on balls, as you would say. Um, I, I think the only thing preventing it from being a perfect game was yeah, the three hit batsmen. Yeah, that's kind of a lot. Generally, <laughs> you aim for uh, closer to zero. But we well, you know it was neat though because he he hit the first guy in the top of the ninth inning. Well, I don't but think then, you, I don't think you get to say it was neat that he hit somebody. Well, no, but you got to hear me out. But then he struck out the next three batters. Sure, he's like, and he's like, you know, I'm full of facts about this today. He's like the first pitcher since Sandy Koufax in the '60s, I think, to finish a no hitter with three strikeouts. That was pretty cool. And then he, of course, you know, he was rewarded with the the famous Buster Posey hug, which you know that just seems like after a big win or you know a no hitter or something, you know, that's that's just the exact thing that you want. Well, it's kind of just anything. Like, like I kind of wish, like I knew Buster Posey was in the area, and I would find a way to like engineer myself doing something heroic, just so I can get a Buster Posey hug. Right. God, that must feel great. I mean, <laughs> I I've been thinking about. Um, 
I forget if I've mentioned this on the show or just when you and I were talking offline. I've been thinking about getting like a a poster of him and Bumgarner right after you know they won Game Seven last year. I really like that photo. There's yeah. a couple of photos. Yeah, I don't think I can get away with that in my shirt apartment. <laughs> just hang that right above the TV. Well, no, you I mean you you put it you put it like in the hallway or something. But I agree. As you get older, some of the sports memorabilia stuff gets a little more difficult. If I ever have uh, whatever is. Like I, I hate the term man cave, but like if I ever, whenever I get a house eventually, I actually do kind of enjoy the idea of that. Yeah, I like mean, where you can have like kind of a thing where like you have your movie stuff and your sports stuff. I think that actually be cool, and that is definitely something I would have up there. Would you have an actual like kind of sports theme man cave? I feel like for you, it no, would no, be no. Like I mean, a, like I would have like one a, like, like a computer museum. <laughs> Well, we won't. No, talk I, about... I don't. That's not a. I mean, that's that's. I mean, you're. I mean, not to get too personal, but I mean, your apartment today is. You know, you have you have some uh, vintage Mac hardware. We'll say. I do. So I mean, like again, not to make the yeah too personal, but I mean, I I currently have some. Uh, I've got some Pixar posters. I have uh, some Wally stuff, and then I yeah I've got an old uh, G4 Cube, and then uh, one of the original Macs. Um. So yeah. I think that would be nice. It wouldn't be like like some weird like sports basement, but I think one of the walls would definitely have some giant stuff. Okay, that's that's fair. That seems appealing about having a house. <sighs> yeah, and I would have to move away. I know. <laughs> move to Arizona where land is cheap. <laughs> that's true. I I can vouch for that. And air conditioning is a a requirement. <laughs> yes. Uh, how's Jake doing? Oh, Jake is great. I've actually um, have you been I holding just, out on pictures. Oh, actually, yeah, let me see if I can. Um, let's take a look here. And I like that we're um, setting this up where everybody's going to have turned this off before it gets to any of the technology. No, I think I think this is exactly what they tune in for. Only the most avid listener is going to know who the hell Jake is. Uh, well, so Jake is my America's my dad's favorite dog, nerf, nervous dog, <laughs> right? Who my uh, my half sister in Arizona now is taking care of, and she yeah, she just sent me a photo uh last week this week for some reason it's not pulling up in my iMessage history on OS 10 which I should point out has been wildly out of sync lately with iMessages on my iPhone it, it was working great for so long and just like the last week or so Ugh, anyway so I, I don't know I can't get to this photo now but um I'll remind me to send it to you <laughs> okay I'm reminding you now because I want dog pictures okay um okay and 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 uh to get back on topic again uh warriors basketball what's going on uh so the warriors they won game one of the nba finals and then um they've now lost the last two games uh first two games went into overtime were, were very exciting the last night game last night's game looked like it might have been a blowout but the warriors made a, a strong comeback in the fourth quarter uh but you know overall they have not not been playing well not been shooting well, not been defending well. Overall, just sort of have been lethargic. Um, and, the, and the Cavaliers, who are down two of their best players, Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, have just been out outplaying them, out-hustling them, out-rebounding them, playing better defense. Um, LeBron James has been just ridiculous. He, he has the most points of any individual player in the first three games of a final series. 
He scored something like 123 points, I think it is. So he's, he's averaging over 40 points a game. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it seems it seems like it's a, a different team ever since the finals started. Again, I, I follow this where with very casual interest. I don't actually really care. I don't want to uh, pretend I'm a bandwagon fan or anything, or or actually even a true fan. But it's 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 good to watch. But it seems like it, like the, the game two was just kind of a mess. Yeah, game game two was rough, and then I actually I thought game three last night was even a bigger mess for the Warriors. And oh, sorry, I'm with game, you. game three. Yeah, I mean I'm with you. Um, I mean as I've made clear on the show, I'm I'm not a Warriors fan, but it is fun to be surrounded by people who are because I mean I've you know I've been there. I I know the the stress and the kind of excitement that goes along with it. And, you know, I was at, I was at a bar in the city last night watching it with some friends, uh, a couple of which have been, you know, life, lifetime Warriors fans, grew up in the area and everything. And it's it's fun. I mean, well, <laughs> last big stretches of last night's game were not fun to watch with, along with them. But Well, I remember they were down, like, by, like, 15 or 20 points, uh, like, uh, approaching the third, and then it got within, like, three. So some something happened. Yeah, they were down by 20 at one point in the third quarter. They got it down to... I want to say it was around maybe 15, 16 by the end of the third quarter. And then they started the fourth quarter on like an 8-0 run. So they, they cut the lead down real fast. And then they got it all the way down to, I think, one or two at one point. But then they just couldn't quite get over the hump. You might say that's a similar situation with uh, watchOS. Ooh, great transition. I have no idea what that means. Anyway, we'll, we'll continue watching. Um... But yeah, it's fun. Again, I just don't want uh, LeBron James to win because he doesn't. I don't know. I well, I I actually generally like him. Um, you know, I I I really really respect the fact that he went back to Cleveland. I I just think it was the right thing to do. What I do you mean though? I I don't understand that sentiment. I I just did I they the offer way that him he... just truckloads of money? No. So the way that the NBA works is that the team that you're currently with can offer you significantly more money than any other team can. So no, he took less money by going to uh, Cleveland. Hmm. Um, I just, you know, the way, the way that he left Cleveland, I mean, it, obviously it's his right, it's, it's his decision, but just the way he did it with the whole decision thing was just so ill-conceived and, and caused so many people heartache that it just it was it was nice that he went back the way that he did <sighs> perhaps okay anyway we, we've we've delayed it long enough do, yeah do you want so, to talk about whatever happened on monday I, I guess um so i guess we should clarify so or for whenever people actually listen to this uh so today this week is wwdc which is apple's annual developers conference that takes place uh in san francisco and on Monday, there was the keynote, which um, covers just kind of the state. It's like a state of the union on uh, what's going on for the year ahead with uh, Mac OS X, uh, iOS, and now the uh, the new thing, uh, watchOS. And it was um, definitely kind of a, a weird uh, keynote. I think Apple seems confused about what these actually are as to whether or not they're developer-facing events or if they're press events or if they're consumer-focused or what it's because apple has so much going on these days so i guess where do you want to start i guess gosh where do you where do you want to start i mean i guess like for me there there are a couple of just general observations before we get into the specifics um 
you know, the first of which was just the length of the keynote. It was two and a half hours long, which, you know, people have, I think, kind of rightfully given Google a hard time with their Google I.O. keynotes being too long. Um, And this was, you know, this was right up there with one of those. It just it just was too damn long. Um, And then kind of the makeup of the keynote, I think we talked on the last episode what we kind of thought like the breakdown would be in terms of the amount of time spent on OS X, iOS, and and watchOS. And I think I had said that I expected watchOS to be kind of the dominant um, operating system talked about, followed by iOS, and then lastly followed by um, OS X. And it was exactly the opposite, where a shocking amount of time, and then the most time, I think, was spent talking about OS X, followed it by... Be. <laughs> well, we can get to that. We need to talk about the most important product. Uh, well, and then followed by iOS, and then in a distant third was watchOS. And then one um, more thing. Yeah, well, well let's save that. Um, so yeah, so the, the length of the keynote and then kind of the composition of the keynote were, were two really um, surprising things. And then just overall the disjointed, crummy nature of parts of the keynote, which which we'll get to, also was just very very surprising and very unApple-like. But like I think I think in a way to try to keep this somewhat cohesive and and to try to make the show not go off the rails like the keynote itself did, uh, we should probably. So, sorry, can, go can, can, in, can I mention? Can I mention that we spent ten minutes talking about a uh, pizza with hot dogs on it before you try <laughs> to pretend this is a podcast that sticks to any type of uh, schedule? Yeah, well, we'll we'll cut all that out. All right. So we're we're, we're so I guess sorry. Where are we starting? Well, I, I think I think we should go in chronological order. So I think you know Tim Tim Cook actually I I made a note of this when he did it. He he made a a, a quip that he didn't have time for. Uh, his normal retail update because there was just so much to talk about and was he boy was he not kidding <laughs> um just in terms of uh quantity if if nothing else yeah um, so so, so, they, I, so, so i so i asked myself oh god that's that's yeah. not start on that quite yet foreshadowing yeah um so os 10 that that's what they started with um el capitan which is uh such an obvious name is in that, retrospect is okay I mean, of, of course, that's what it was going to be. It's, you know, Apple has this history now of going from like lion to mountain lion, leopard to snow leopard, where when they have these kind of incremental updates, they sort of have a play on whatever the previous name was. And El Capitan is is a famous landmark inside of Yosemite. So it just, it kind of, you know, in retrospect, again, should have been kind of one of those obvious things, but... I'm bummed it wasn't OS X Goleta State Beach. <laughs> I, I I really, uh, uh, referencing Darth here again, um, they had a, a post about uh, calling it uh, OS X Frisco, which given the change to San Francisco as the system font, it just seemed like a perfect opportunity to do that. Well, I think that's mainly Matt Honan that's been uh, uh, advocating for that. But actually, I don't think San Francisco ended up being uh, the new font. I think it's only appearing in very, very small uh, places. Yeah, you know, they talked about that on this week's upgrade, where they didn't explicitly say you know, San Francisco is the new system font during the keynote. But in that word cloud slide of features that they had, new system font was one of those features. 
And I guess people who have gotten to use the the beta version, which was made available to developers starting Monday, uh, folks have said that uh, San Francisco, I guess you're right, doesn't necessarily appear everywhere, but it is throughout the operating system. But I think as I think Jason Snell pointed this out also on upgrade that it's possible that that may change, you know, throughout these beta releases. Who knows? Gotcha. Uh, but I don't, yeah, I mean, so what you're more of the, you're more of the OS 10 guy than I am. I'm, I'm still, you know, I have a full-time Mac now, but I'm fairly, fairly new to the game. So why, why don't you tell the folks kind of what are the, um, uh, what's, what's the phrase, the, 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 when you're giving like an ad read and you've got like the bullets, the Mer- didn't Merlin man come up with some term for that F and B's. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> I forgot Feature, about that. Features and benefits. Why don't you tell the, the folks well, what's going on with uh, El Capitan? Yeah, I'm not sure a whole lot's um, changing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's supposed to be uh, fixed and just iterated a little bit. Spotlight's getting a lot better. Um, the applications are getting a little bit smaller. Things are getting faster. Memory management and power management are getting better. Um, a lot of their big features, which I, um, I noted kind of uh, negatively, were that a lot of them seem like borrowed ideas from elsewhere. Like, I don't know if you, uh, how closely you paid attention during that keynote segment, but uh, did you ever use Windows 7? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I currently use Windows 7 every day. So do you know what the snap feature is? I do. So that, like, so they they, they introduced a new mission control method, which is kind of the um, successor to, uh, to Expose, which was one of my favorite original OS X features, which I think was released in, like, 10.3. Um, which is kind of a Windows management feature. And their whole thing was that you can more easily manage Windows by dragging the menu bar from one side of the screen to the other to like either maximize it or uh, split it into halves, which is something that's been in Windows 7 for years. And they actually even ran a whole ad campaign around it. Remember that whole, those, uh, the Windows 7 was my idea ads? <laughs> yes. So that's all I could think about. And then like... I understand it's it's done more elegantly and more Apple like, but it's it's basically oh here's how you can manage your Windows uh, a little bit better. And then there was um, like Safari, which nobody who I mean come on who uses that as their primary browser um, has a couple of new features which seem to be just completely lifted from Chrome. So now you can see which tab is making noise. So uh, oh goody. But overall, it seems just like mainly to be uh, performance, security, and stability. Improvements, which which I um, encourage, and I'm I'm extremely happy for. I don't think Yosemite is missing a whole lot of stuff. Um, so overall, I'm I'm glad it's it's uh, coming about this way. And Spotlight is getting smarter, which is nice. I don't use it terribly often, but um, it's getting more natural language processing and stuff. So overall, it seems like a a worthwhile upgrade. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I've noticed the last couple of OS X presentations is that, you know, they they spend a lot of time talking about enhancements that they've made to native applications. You know, they usually spend a lot of time on Mail, on Safari. um, And in this presentation, they spend some time on the new Notes application. And, you know, all of that stuff is just just not relevant to me because I, I really don't use any of the stock OS X apps. So, so we'll get back to that once we talk about iOS and kind of the um, the iOS uh, Apple junk drawer concept. But overall, uh, OS X El Capitan is coming out this fall. Apple is sticking with its um, 
somewhat unnecessary or sorry, very unnecessary annual release schedule for an operating system that I don't even think uh, 10.10 has even gotten like a 0.3 release, has it? Uh, we can take a look here. About this Mac, uh, we are on, yeah, we're on 10.10.3. Okay. But do you remember, uh, I don't, again, you haven't used OS ten quite that long, but like a, a, a Tiger, like 10.4, got all the way up to like 10.4.11. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like anything as ever. I think Marco's article about like the functional high ground is 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 still truer than ever, which is that the software never gets stable enough to ever get to that point. It always feels like you're using uh, beta releases because Apple seems to feel the need to iterate so quickly, even though this doesn't really seem like it has that many earth-shattering features. But Yeah, you know, one, one of the few things I think Microsoft in recent years has kind of gotten right with Windows is doing the kind of every other year release, major release. I just, I don't know, especially on the desktop side, it just it it feels like that's a more natural kind of upgrade cycle. Well, I mean, with remember from like Windows XP to Vista, wasn't that like a four and a half year uh, span? Yeah, it was. But but since uh, I, th- I believe since Windows Seven, I think seven, eight, and then soon now ten, which <laughs> it's kind of funny skipping over nine. But uh, um, I think each of those there's been a two year you know gap in between. Does Windows still do service packs? Is that a thing? I, yeah, but I think they might have like a different name now. Because like, and, they, so and they're is Windows, strictly is, is Windows eight point one essentially a Windows eight service pack one? No, no, that's like considered basically a different version. Hmm. The, the service packs now are strictly just, um, or whatever they're called, strictly just uh, bundles of updates. There, there isn't um, any new features that come along with them. Windows XP Service Pack 2. You remember that? Uh, I remember Windows XP too, too well. There's so much weirdness. Do you remember... Uh, you won't remember this, but... Do you remember the Messenger bug? No. Uh, maybe? So back with Windows XP before Service Pack 1, uh, back in 2011 and 2002... Or sorry, 2001 and 2002, there was a feature uh, inside of it called Windows Messenger Service. And it got exploited where somebody would just send you random messenger spam that made it look like a system dialogue. And it would start talking about like, oh, you have adware or you have spyware and you need to go fix this. Do you not remember this? No. Uh-uh. Uh, I got I to gotta, uh, look this up. Anyway, you, you go ahead and keep talking. Um, well, let's see if there's anything else about um, OS ten here. I guess yeah, you, you hit a little bit on the uh, more like natural language processing that the, the spotlight um, yeah, Windows going to be able to do now? Um, I don't recall if they ever actually used the phrase, you know, th- this is part of Siri, or they just called it Siri. I don't think they did like they, they're they doing on the predictive stuff in iOS, which we'll get to, but it's it's very Siri-like, where in Spotlight, you know, you can say things like, you know, show me all pictures from a year ago, or what's the score to the Giants game or, you know, just kind of natural phrases that on the phone you'd, you'd speak verbally into Siri, but then in, in OS 10, you, you're just going to be typing uh, into the spotlight uh, view or, or window. And that, that stuff seems kind of neat, especially the, the, the file searching stuff. 
it seems cool. I don't know. It it seems like it because Apple doesn't really bake. Because the thing is, I don't think that's going to get baked into the Finder, like in the in the sense that you can actually um, access that without doing a weird natural language search. So I'm not sure how useful that's going to be to to power users or or people like me. Yeah, and they they also demoed it inside of Mail, but again, I, I don't I don't use Mail, so and also and they keep stressing all this full screen stuff, which which I just I don't understand how anybody can work like that. Yeah, I was just I was just thinking about that uh, the other day, like even with applications like Logic, when I'm you know mostly focused on just editing the podcast, there really isn't like a lot of you know multitasking I'm doing when I'm editing the show. Um, even then, I, I I don't run that in full screen, just because there are little things like I, I have a pages document open where I'm you know taking notes and uh, writing down topics and all that kind of stuff. So I just I never really find a situation where full screen is the way to go. Yeah, I mean the only two like video watching video is the only thing I ever do in full screen. The only other like productivity or like creative application that comes close would be like using Lightroom, which gets almost full screen. But yeah, I don't understand people who who web browse and do email in full screen. Like, who operates like that? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I really, really couldn't tell you. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that that does really feel like the the major features in OS ten. I, I don't really think we're, I don't really think we're missing anything. No, I think that's mainly it. Yeah. Another uh, public beta. Well, um, because Apple seems to be uh, liking that whole thing. Will be coming out uh, late summer. And yeah, I, th- I think that's smart. I, I think I think public betas are 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 a good thing. I, I really I really do feel like you find a lot of things that maybe you you wouldn't if you just had a private beta. Um, well, except uh, Apple shipped uh, a networking stack that didn't work for, or actually that still doesn't work for uh, nine months. Yeah, you know, the, the Gruber's gone on a bit of a rant about that the last couple of episodes of the talk show, and I, a lot of that Discovery D stuff kind of goes over my head. I guess, like, I don't know, for you, I mean, because you only have one Mac in the house? I have two. Oh, do you ever, like, so do you ever look at your Finder sidebar, and you'll see, like, um, like uh, your shared Macs? Yeah, because I'll, I'll um, sometimes if I'm starting to edit the show on the Mac mini, I'll transfer it to the MacBook Pro or vice versa. And you don't ever see in the sidebar like Mac mini parentheses two, three, four, because it just forgets, like the Mac just like, just forgets what's happening. No, not that I've ever noticed. I don't know. And I, and I still occasionally get Wi-Fi dropouts and stuff. So I don't know. The, the whole networking thing's a little, little iffy. Yeah. So anyway, iOS. Yeah, so iOS was next. This is iOS 9. Um, you know, predictably um, or as predicted, kind of the, you know, like Snow Leopard or Mountain Lion or now El Capitan equivalent where it's just more of a refinement, um, you know, focused release. There are some new features which, which we'll get to, but, you know, predominantly it's about, you know, making the experience better and making performance faster. Um, so we, we've alluded to, I guess this a couple of times when we were talking about OS 10, you know, the, the big feature, I guess, is the kind of like predictive spotlight view, uh, which I was kind of confused as to, again, whether they were kind of just in 
encompassing that as like part of the Siri brand or exactly what they were referring to that as? Like, is it just called like the Siri view? Like, what, what do they call it? So I thought it was called proactive Siri. And basically what they're doing is taking more of a Google Now approach and they're bringing a spotlight and Siri back. Do you remember in the old days where you used to swipe one home screen to the left and you had your spotlight search? Right. So they're going back to that, except they're they're doing much. Uh, they're pulling a Google now. Well, yeah. So they're they're doing. So I, I they, this wasn't made clear during the presentation, or at least I don't think it was. But I, I heard about it afterwards, where you know you can still swipe down from the middle of the home screen, and you you still get the old spotlight search. So that'll still be there. But in addition to that, now if you swipe one more time to the right, you know, past your first home screen, this is where this new you know predictive window is going to live. Or predictive view. I guess it's not really a window. Um, and you know, it's it's going to do things like um, recommend apps and locations based on your current physical location, um, or based on apps that you frequently use in that location or frequently use during that time of day. It's basically making an effort to kind of predict what it thinks you're going to want to access next. Um, which, you know, to your point is very similar to uh, kind of, was it Google Now? That, that's what that's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things where the the demo was impressive, but it just, it, it feels like, not, not to just get negative on it, but it really does feel like one of those things that in practice may, just may not really work that well or may not really end up being as useful as it's as it's portrayed in a nice little you know 10 minute demo yeah i mean i'm i'm i don't know i i'm i'm cautiously optimistic and cautiously pessimistic at the same time like i i don't i'm not really sure that's gonna how, how that's gonna work but just because i know um apple's history with um with web services and also with siri where it will it will look very good in uh demonstrations but if you stray too far outside what um it was very what what use cases it was very clearly designed for it ends up just kind of um falling flat yeah so it's one of those things where i don't really know if there's a whole lot more to say about it right now it's going to be something that you really just have to kind of try on your own um and i mean i think i think that's that was really like the main feature of ios at least you know just on the phone and we'll, we'll get to the ipad in a minute but um you know the only other things that really come to mind on the phone are more around just the optimization parts so that the two things they highlighted right at the end of the presentation were um upgrading from ios 8 to ios 9 is going to take significantly less space than upgrading from ios 7 to 8 did um, i think they said something like Going from uh, seven to eight took four point something gigabytes, and going from eight to nine is only going to require a little over one. Which, given that they're still, for whatever reason, selling sixteen gigabyte iPhones, I think that's a really important thing. I mean, and, and I, I know it is because I had multiple friends. I mean, at least four or five people that I knew who didn't upgrade from iOS 7 to 8 because of that very issue, just not having enough space. Well, I guess I have a question. So so do people who purchase 16 gigabyte phones just have it coming to them? No, I, I don't think that's the right way to look at it because I don't, I don't think it's necessarily the job of the consumer 
to ensure that their phone has enough storage space to be able to upgrade to the next major release of the operating system. That just seems like something that Apple should be considering when the you know they they come up with these storage sizes because they I mean they know they know how much space each operating system is going to take or each iOS release is going to take and well, so they they should consider that when coming up with these storage sizes. Well, in that sense, then they shouldn't ship a phone with less than sixty four gigabytes of space. I I don't disagree with that. But but customers won't have that. Well, I, I guess it it depends on what you think Apple should be doing with their margins when it comes to to storage space but i i guess you can't really fault them for wanting to squeeze a lot of margin out there but um anyway i did i think they're going in the right direction here by dramatically decreasing the amount of space ios 9 is going to take um, and then the other thing that they highlighted was uh, battery so they're saying that out of the box you know ios 9 is going to get about an hour better battery life than ios 8 does and in addition to that they're um, coming out with this kind of power reserve mode, which which they have on the the watch as well, um, and with that mode enabled, you're going to be able to get they say up to an an additional three hours on top of the extra hour that you're already getting. Um, you know, I guess they they didn't really make it clear like what putting your phone into power reserve mode does. Like, I don't know if that turns off data or if it turns off notifications like i don't i don't really know what exactly it does and I, I i don't think they i don't think they really talked about that at all did they or did i just miss that yeah i think they suggested that uh just general software tweaks and improvements will uh, increase battery life by about an hour but they seemed uh, pretty um cagey about what was what what's entailed in that 3 hour boost when you put it in this like ultra low power savings mode a feature that Samsung has had for a while, which generally pretty, pretty uh, strongly cripples the phone. So, uh, so that's what. So, I'm really confused as to what usefulness you'll get out of the phone, unless they mean you can just make phone calls and text. In which case, I don't know. Yeah, my my guess would be that it dims the screen brightness. It turns off LTE, turns off Wi-Fi, turns off Bluetooth. And basically puts you in a mode where you're just getting like basic, you know, 3G or 4G service, whatever, pre-LTE level data ser- level of data service. Um, and then, yeah, really just being able to, to basically just make calls, text, and maybe do some light data. So can we get to the fun part? Uh, sure. So I think iOS 9 seems like a pretty um, minor update for the phone, but it sounds like uh, for us, uh, or actually, you're, you know, you still have a Mini 3, right? I do. So for us iPad Air 2 uh, people, uh, it's going to be a rather substantial update. So um, passionate listeners will uh, be able to uh, reference a prior episode where I tried using uh, my iPad as my only computer and found it um, to be a complete mess. But um, iOS 9 seems to make a lot of new updates that are going to make having an iPad as a productivity device or a multitasking device much easier. It's still not like Microsoft Surface level or anything that's going to allow you to completely replace your laptop. But it uh, tackles a couple important issues, which is being able to um, switch easily between applications, being able to multitask and do two things at once, and solving the problem of being able to watch video and do something at the same time. So I think iOS 9 
is going to be a, a very, very interesting proposition when that rolls out to the iPad Air 2. So I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, and interesting, it's interesting in that up to this point, you know, iOS has been 99% similar between the iPhone and iPad. And whenever they've come out with new features as part of iOS releases, those new features have really just been identical across both the phone and the iPad. There's been very little to kind of differentiate between the two. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm just on the iOS 9 preview page on Apple's site. And, you know, at the very top, there are four main sections that they highlight. Uh, Built-in apps, intelligence, foundation, and then iPad experience. So th this is, you know, one of their main highlighted areas of improvement in iOS 9. Oh, and I forgot about the keyboard. Yeah, so like, we, we should definitely get to that. Um, but to kind of wrap up the thought that you started on the, on the multitasking piece. So there, there's a couple of parts to it. The first is what they're calling slide over. And this is going to be available not just on the iPad Air 2, but on... I believe all, maybe just most, of the iPads which are still being currently sold. And this mode uh, works by uh, sliding over from the right-hand side, and this works in either landscape or portrait. And you can select what appears to be almost any app and have it running in a kind of quarter size of the screen view. Um, so like in this, in this um, uh, iOS preview page, they're... Uh, showing how you can have like the mail app running side by side with what they have as, as the photo app here. Um, and you can, you know, switch seamlessly back and forth between the two apps. Uh, but then what's going to be uh, unique to the iPad Air 2 and presumably whatever new iPads they come out with in the fall is what they're calling split view. And this is where you can actually take two apps and have them take up basically half of the screen each so it's really in some ways just a kind of blown out and more customizable version of uh, slide over but again that, that that's the part that's that's only going to be on the ipad air 2 and, and again presumably whatever new ipads they come out with um, and, and then the final thing with the, the multitasking thing and this i also believe is available across most if not all of the ipads which are being sold is uh, picture in picture kind of funny to to see that that phrase again? I haven't haven't seen that <laughs> used in a really long time. Uh, but this is uh, a feature where if you're using FaceTime or if you're watching a video, you can actually have that little video window just kind of anywhere on your screen. Um, and so if you're in Mail or Messages or any other app, you can just have this little video window kind of off in the corner or wherever you want it. And it literally does look a lot like, you know, picture-in-picture picture did on cable boxes for a while. Um, I don't know. I don't really know how often I'd use something like that, but it, it, it at least it, it demoed really well and seems like in some situations could be kind of neat. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that seems really cool because a lot of times I will have just like um, either like Bloomberg or CNBC playing in the background. And I uh, that, that was a complete non-starter on the iPad. And I do like that you can for the most part, slide it almost entirely off screen so you can still focus on what you're doing and like essentially just be listening to the audio of it. So I thought that was a really cool feature that addressed a use case that I found um, extremely lacking. And that coupled with split view, I think does a ton to extend 
the iPad for um, people looking to do more substantial work on it. So yeah, I, I'm I am ex- extremely excited about that. Yeah, um, and it it does now as an owner of an iPad Mini three, which is not going to be able to take advantage of at least split view. Um, it it does seem like one of those things where that might make me consider getting whatever new iPad they'll they'll be coming out with in the fall. I we'll see. Yeah, but I and I that's kind of exactly what they're going for here. I think is you know iPad sales have kind of. I don't think that's it. No, it's just that the, I'm like the iPad Air two is is literally like an order of magnitude faster. I don't think it's them trying to force upgrade cycles. I think it's just that the eight eight X is is what's required to make this function. I mean, maybe that's not the primary motivation, but I think it's certainly a uh, happy consequence of of, of this. <laughs> I've I've never heard that phrase. No, oh, I just coined it. Sure. I I don't think I, I think it actually is a phrase, but <laughs> okay. any, a, anyway. And then the last bit for um, the iOS nine for iPad like productivity update is they made some uh, great enhancements to the keyboard, where you can use uh, the body of the keyboard where most of the keys lay. Uh, as like a trackpad, which makes uh, selecting text dramatically easier because unfortunately um, the text selection uh, mechanism or, or like way of doing things on an iPad is essentially the exact same as on a phone where you have to long press on something and then like position a cursor and then drag and then do all that kind of stuff, which which works on an iPhone but works less well on an iPad. Um, so now you can actually just kind of keep your fingers on the keyboard and... Um, uh, select text far more easily. You get copy and ca- uh, copy and paste buttons directly on that suggestion bar that hovers above the keyboard, as well as a couple like formatting tooltips and that kind of stuff. So it seems um, like a, like a fantastic step in the right direction. Uh, I I do not think I will uh, uh, be retiring my iPad keyboard case anytime soon, but I think it looks very very cool. Well, and actually, as part of this, uh, they're calling it Quick Type which is kind of, I guess, the umbrella of improvements to the iPad keyboard. The other thing that they're highlighting are uh, keyboard shortcuts when you are using a, a hardware keyboard. Oh, like thank that God. I, that iPad case. So thank God. Yeah. The main, the main feature they're highlighting here is a um, kind of app switcher, much like you'd see by, you know, using Command-Tab on the on OS ten. And I guess you also have... Um, other various like keyboard shortcuts, like presumably like copy and paste and things like that, that which you can now use. So those you've been able to use, but th- there's a whole lot of ones that um, just do not work the way you expect it. So. Yeah, and they also they also highlight that apps can build the you know build in their own keyboard shortcuts and that kind of thing. Cool. Uh, yeah, so that um, that seems kind of neat. Um, I, I've never used a physical keyboard with an ipad and i i don't really have any plans to so I, that part of it doesn't doesn't really apply much to me but I, I do think the text selection part and kind of just being able to use the keyboard itself as like a almost like a trackpad does seem really neat hmm. um and i'm kind of you know kind of thumbing through this ios 9 preview page um i think we hit on most of the, the main points the only thing we haven't really talked about at all which I don't really find exciting, which I think is kind of why we haven't talked about it so far. And that's the, the news app. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a flipboard looking thing. Um, I just, I don't think there's a whole lot of 
stuff to talk about there. Not really. I, I think it's 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 Apple admitting that newsstand was just kind of a, a weird failure, unfortunately. Because newsstand, um, like I, I don't know if you have the New York Times application on your phone, but it's like that and the Wall Street Journal and the Economist and a bunch of them just live in this weird little silo called newsstand, which just doesn't really work the way you'd expect it to or the way you want it to. And uh, I'm I'm kind of happy that it's it's moving away to something different. I'm not sure if this whole news, uh, sorry, Flipboard knockoff approach is is the right way to go, but um, eh, good on them for trying. Uh, although it's it's very 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 Facebook instant articles. Yeah, I saw M G Sigler made reference to that. But everybody's okay with it when it's Apple. So all right. <laughs> and then last bit on iOS nine is uh, the the only part that I find um, extremely interesting is the uh, move to iOS functionality oh yeah they didn't actually um they didn't talk about this during the keynote but they they did make this available uh shortly after the keynote yeah so i mean i think that that is really cool because uh, for all like I, I am not a samsung fan at all but one of the smartest things in the world they've done is they have an application called uh, samsung smart switch for mobile and of course it's named that way because it's samsung <laughs> but um it's an application that will hook into um your other Android device and or your iCloud backup and make it so that you can extract almost all of your data and get it easily onto a new Samsung Galaxy phone, which reduces like the pain of switching so much. And now that Apple has seen some traction, now that they've opened up extensions and made iOS a bit more powerful, they've seen more traction with people switching away from Android who just kind of don't want to deal with the nonsense that a company is being an Android user. Or, or sorry, using Android software. Um, so I'm I'm very I like that they're going straight after them and introducing an Android application whose only purpose is to move people onto iOS. So I think this is extremely cool. Yeah, I should actually I should clarify that this is the app itself is actually not yet available. And no. Apple Apple hasn't said when it's going to be, and but I mean presumably it'll be alongside iOS nine in the fall. Yeah. It's it's a strategy that's worked for other 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 manufacturers. Motorola has a, a lesser tool than Samsung called Motorola Migrate. HTC has one as well. But I think um, a, a lot of it. I mean, I think people will underestimate how much being walled into a certain ecosystem guides your purchasing decisions, and the ease of switching your data is 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 just huge. And I think this this is just really smart. I completely agree. Uh, my my only last two things on iOS nine are um, uh, Maps. So Maps is getting approved uh, primarily through the introduction of transit directions, which you know it's one of those things that's been on Google Maps forever. Uh, it's nice that Apple is coming out with it. It it does seem like the way that they're um, executing on transit is really nice. The way that they're being smart about showing you exactly which entrance to go down inside of, like in the case of like a subway or underground system, um, showing you complete maps of stations, that kind of stuff Google Maps doesn't do and is sorely missing, I think, in that experience. And so it seems like Apple, even though it's kind of taken them a long time to get to it, it seems like they're, you know, executing on it well, which, you know, is kind of their their MO. Um, and then the other thing is... Um, uh, where is it here? Oh, the the new the new notes app. 
So we mm. we mentioned it briefly with iOS and um, or I'm sorry, we mentioned it briefly with OS 10 and with iOS. Um, they, they've kind of rewritten it from the ground up, um, and then they highlight things like being able to make checklists, being able to draw handwritten notes, uh, being able to insert links, and having you know a little preview window. Um, I mean, obviously, there are a billion note apps on the App Store, most of which do a lot of the things that have been highlighted in the in the Notes app. But um, you know, it it, it looked it looked neat. It, it looked nice. Yeah, I think it looks like kind of a mess, just because I I don't like Apple stuff is weird, and I I don't understand how they're gonna have to manage to have something that does checklists, that does embedded photographs, that does embedded audio, and does just regular text in any manageable form. And notes has always been this kind of just weird black box as to where your notes actually go. I mean, in a lot of ways, like notes is like an I mapped back, to like weird silo. So I, so I have no idea. I do not think that I, I will be using that. But the mass transit stuff looks cool. I'm not sure that I'll, I'll switch away from a uh, transit app. But um, yeah. it's neat. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I lied. Two, two more small things on iOS 9. Then, then we're really done. Um, they're renaming Passbook to uh, Wallet. Um, and the, the reason there is because they're going to be adding support for things like uh, rewards cards, and just kind of other various like retailer um, uh, kind of points program or whatever you want to call them cards. Um, so I guess they're they're kind of you know they they said at the Apple Pay announcement that their kind of long term goal is to really you know be able to replace your entire wallet. And so it it, it kind of makes sense that because pa- up to this point Passbook has been kind of the place for that that they just you know straight up come out and just name this thing wallet. Um, and then, and then the last thing is a new version of CarPlay and the, the kind of the, the headlining feature there is the ability to use CarPlay without actually having your phone physically plugged in, which, um, I actually don't see that as being particularly useful because, you know, one of the nice things about having your iPhone in your car is the ability to, to charge it. So, you know, un- until Apple has like a wireless charging solution, I, I don't really see how, this is particularly useful. Um, and then the other thing that they highlighted is that you're now going to be able to control your car's applications uh, through CarPlay, you know, presumably if the car manufacturer chooses to support that. Um, but, you know, as someone who is, is planning on purchasing a vehicle this year with uh, CarPlay. No, 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 no you're, you're purchasing a car with the alleged promise of future <laughs> CarPlay support. You're you're correct. Yes, <laughs> I I figured you I figured you'd call me out on that. Uh, Im- um, imported from Detroit. It, well, no, but, but yes. Oh, sorry, imported from Dearborn, Michigan. Right. Um, and then uh, the only thing uh, to wrap up iOS, I did like that somebody for, for the to wrap it up for the third time. <laughs> You keep dragging it out. Um, <laughs> somebody made the observation that uh, Google just went from uh, Google Wallet to Android Pay. And now Apple Pay is going from uh, Apple Pay to uh, Apple Wallet. So, yeah, I, I saw that. That's pretty good. Kind of nifty. Um, and then yeah, CarPlay. I don't know. Meh. I get, eventually, it, it it'll. I don't know. It's. Did they mention it about like it being good now? <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> no, because they, that... they didn't they didn't highlight that as a feature now. <laughs> so so it, even with their um, 
liberal uh, language. I, I, I don't know. Because most of the reviews were that it's just not terribly good, right? Yeah, like, I mean, Like it it's seems... just sluggish and, and not very responsive and not terribly useful. Yeah, it kind of seemed like every other in-car system. Well, Android Auto, most people will actually give rave reviews to. Like Joanna Stern, one of our very, very trusted uh, people we both regularly read, had very, very positive things to say about Android Auto. So, I don't know. Google has that stuff nailed down pretty much. Well, my uh, my future car allegedly is going to have support for both, so... <laughs> Not that not that Android Auto would do me any good without an Android phone, but hey, at least it's it's there as an option. Yeah. Tesla Model X coming out later this year. Ugh, I know. Uh, they said that that probably won't support CarPlay. <laughs> is it going to have the same ridiculous 17-inch touchscreen? Yeah, it is. Ugh. All right, moving right along because this this shows a dragon. Um, it's all it's all it's all solid gold. Don't worry. Oh yeah, um, man. They're still not deprecating support for the iPad too. Jeez. Um, <laughs> oh, I guess yeah. I mean, that is sort of okay. That is really like the last thing to close out with iOS nine is sorry the fourth time now. Right. They're they're supporting all iPhones and iPads which supported iOS eight. So unlike in the past where they've you know kind of cut off support for the trailing you know, one or two versions of the hardware. If you can run iOS 8, you can run iOS 9. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking at a few of these devices, and most of them can barely run iOS 8. So I think that's very generous. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, as, as, you know, as the idiots that we are who upgrade their phone every year. I don't think I'm an idiot. It's just I don't want <laughs> the, the device I use most to be slow. That's, that's how I justify my purchase, too. Yeah. Okay, right. so, so, so for for real this time. So, so Apple uh, Watch. Yeah, so wa- Watch OS or uh, Watch OS, as as you've been saying. Um, you know, it 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 is exactly sort of what we thought it was going to be. Um, the main feature being native third party apps, uh, followed shortly thereby um, third party complications on the watch faces. And these were things that were predicted, and you know. I, are they look they look great if it's much of like the other items that they highlighted with watch os2 it kind of just feels like things that should have been there from the beginning um it was it was kind of funny in a lot of ways that they must have said this at least three different times during the presentation how they were you know so proud of themselves for you know planning on coming out with watch os2 so quickly after releasing the initial hardware um and, you know, my response to that is, well, yeah, but this stuff should have just been there already. So so I guess, so we don't have to discuss, because there wasn't really all that much that um, was described in it. There were some Siri enhancements, uh, some of the, the fitness stuff is going to be a little bit better. But the big stuff was third-party watch complications and um, and native apps. But I guess, like, this is the part when I was re-watching, because tonight, like, uh, I, I missed the part, or when it originally aired on Monday, I missed the... Um, the watch section of the keynote. So I watched that um, again tonight and like it bugs me or it, it's just, it seems like a, like a, a worthwhile concern to me is how on earth did Apple get people to write what were essentially really, really shitty or, or does not 
worthwhile and dead-end watch kit like accessory applications when the real thing is available like six weeks later like doesn't it, wouldn't wouldn't that annoy developers at all like that you were forced to run something uh, to write uh, to spend a whole lot of time writing something that isn't very good to get your customers to think that your application isn't very good just because of the technical limitations for some for a company that wanted third-party watch applications on it so bad that they didn't care if they were any good. Like, am I out of line for thinking that? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, <clears throat> obviously, neither of us is a, is a developer, but I don't really think you need to be one to know that if the way that your app interacts with and runs on the hardware is completely changing, that <laughs> seems like a lot of extra work. And that's that that I think is a really great example of why you know this stuff should have just been there from the beginning. Well, I guess what I'm going to ask is is do you have a less like pretend you're a regular user, but do do you think that most people will have a lesser opinion of third-party applications on the watch because of the kind of crummy ones that came out originally, most of which were hamstrung by the poor, extremely limited watch kit fake SDK thing that came out? Eh, I mean, maybe. Um, like, just like the 30-second load times, you don't think a lot of people will be like, well, why Why is this different now? I mean, maybe, but I, I, I think even... I think, A, a lot of people won't think of that, but B, even the ones that do, over time, once they start trying some of these native apps, they'll, you know, realize that performance has dramatically improved and that there's a lot of new features with being able to interact with the hardware buttons, you know, I, you'll, I think you'll eventually as a user kind of forget about that initial wave. It may take some time, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think you're going to hold on to the thought of how crappy apps were right out of the gate forever. All right. Was there anything else? Um, I, mean, th I think that one was pretty straightforward. I think third-party watch complications kind of, eh, that's kind of cool. I did think the, um, the uh what was it called time machine or uh oh time travel i thought that was kind of neat yeah so you know what's funny is that i thought that was probably the coolest thing they demoed but apparently they showed that off during the original watch announcement i don't it, think it, they did i could have sworn i rewatched that i don't this uh, seemed totally new to me yeah, so Jason Snell and Mike Hurley—that's what they said on Upgrade was that they had th that this feature had already been shown and that it just you know wasn't ready for WatchOS one. Because I because I like Photo Face and um, like I know I know the um the Friends view from like the Friends button changed, but yeah, time travel. I don't remember anything like that. I don't remember a predictive view. Um. Hmm. Yeah, well, in any case, it is a really neat feature. And basically what it is, when you're on the watch face, if you turn the digital crown, you know, clockwise or counterclockwise, in the case of clockwise, which is probably the more common way you'd use it, it can spin the time forward so that you can see, like, you know, things like future events if you have a calendar complication or uh, the temperature if you have a, you know, weather complication, it's one of those things that seems really, really useful. It does. I think it's going to suffer from the exact same uh, limited uh, refresh intervals that most of the information currently suffers from. But I don't know. It, 
Well, we'll see. I mean, maybe when the apps are running natively on the watch, some of that stuff can be improved. Um, well, but even Apple first-party stuff, like um, the weather and location-based services still like update like once every three hours, which I think is, is just madness. Yeah, you know, it's funny that that the more I've read, it seems like the issue that I've been having where your most recent calendar or your your next calendar appointment isn't always the one that's showing. That seems to be the the reason behind that issue too is just the the long interval by which that information is being updated, and that 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 information can just kind of get um, outdated really fast. Which. Seems like a recipe for not having people not trust the product. Yeah, um, but yeah, you know, I'm I'm hopeful that when apps are allowed to run natively again, some of that stuff can can be improved. Um, yeah, but the, I mean those those really were the the main things with with Watch OS two. Um, some things around the edges, you know, there's a new nightstand mode, which as someone who has an iHome dock next to their bed, it just doesn't seem very useful maybe like if you're traveling it could be kind of neat maybe but i don't know like i i I, the the thought of using the apple watch as an alarm clock has never occurred to me just because it sounds like it'd just be a really poor quiet alarm clock that's that was exactly my thinking too is that i just it doesn't seem like it'd be loud enough um like because because if you have an apple watch you obviously have your phone which is better suited for it but whatever i know they they need bullet points to they need to fill the f and b's Right. Um, and speaking of filling out the F and B's, you know the other the other small things are being able to reply to email now Ugh. on the watch. I mean, whatever. Again, Siri. Okay, so can, can we can we go back? Sure. This, this is this this is this is the problem with this whole project, which which is again, Apple keeps trying to force you into. They want people to think like we keep stressing that the Apple Watch is best or is more tolerable if you just use it as a passive device that gets your attention yet everything they do keeps trying to suggest that you should be using it to dictate and send things and do all this kind of stuff. So I guess that's my problem where I keep saying that people are getting the wrong impression of what it should do and are ultimately going to be disappointed. Yeah, I don't, uh, don't disagree. Um, but okay. So going back, going back to the thought of filling out the F and B's, um, the other the other things are being able to add friends directly in the the worthless friends view, uh, being able to sketch in multiple colors on the uh, completely useless sketch feature. Um, what else? Uh, you've already talked about the the fitness stuff, the improved series stuff. Um, they've got. Um, oh, they've they've got your absolute worst nightmare for for watch faces. I think you've explicitly said on the show that the the thing that you wouldn't want is just like a photo in the background of your watch face, and that's exactly what they're coming out with. Yep, <laughs> and not not and not not only is it sort of like your worst nightmare in terms of the the visual aesthetic, but it's also one of those watch faces which there's already a couple like this. On oh, the and watch it tells you absolutely no useful information. Yeah, because you there's no there's no complication, so it, it's just the date and the time. Um, same with the other new watch face they introduced is a, a time lapse view of um, a couple of cities they picked out: uh, Hong Kong, London, New York, Shanghai, and somewhere called Mac Lake, which evidently is like in California, I think somewhere. I've never even heard of that. It's just some uh-huh. uh, some scenic view one. Yeah. 
Uh, and again, same same thing there. Where in the top right hand corner, you just have the the time and the date, and no no other customization options, or at least as far as we can tell. No useful info. Yep. And you know, I think um, not to keep mentioning upgrade, but this week's episode was really good. Jason had thrown out the idea that we may see some additional watch faces come whatever fall event that they do. You know, presumably shortly before iOS nine and watch OS two comes out. We we may we may see some additional watch faces. And I, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Uh here's hoping. Now anything anything else with uh watch OS? No, do you want to get to the music thing? <sighs> yeah. Oh sorry, but again, in between these two segments, we have to say hey to to Phil Schiller on his birthday. Oh uh, yeah, we wish wish him a happy birthday. Yes. At a well, we can we can do that uh, tomorrow night at, at karaoke night. And now one more thing. Yeah, so, so that, you know, that phrase so, is getting diluted. Yeah, so Apple, I think, very wisely kind of chose to really not use that phrase um, for for quite some time. Um, in fact, I, I think up until the watch announcement, they had not used that phrase since Steve Jobs passed away. Um, and, and that phrase always has been sort of, um, you know, kind of saved for those really kind of bigger, bigger announcements. Although I get, I'm trying to think that there, there, there must be other examples where maybe that wasn't <laughs> quite used in the best way. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember if things like ping and that kind of stuff was one more thing. No, no way. Yeah. I don't think so either. Um, but so in in this presentation, they they did use one more thing, and um, you know this is again only only the second time they've used it since Steve Jobs passed away. The first being the the watch announcement, and you know because everything for an Apple keynote leaks beforehand now, you know everybody kind of knew what this was going to be, so that that also kind of makes the whole one more phrase one more thing phrase also just not as relevant anymore because again everything leaks out ahead of time now. So it's never really a surprise, uh, but they chose to use it anyway here for uh, Apple Music, and you know I've been thinking the last couple of days, like, gosh, how would I describe this part of the keynote on the show? And I, I never really did come up with anything all that great. So instead of coming up with my own original idea, I'm just going to steal from uh, Jason Snell here. Uh, on his uh, six colors post about the keynote, um, it's a, the very last paragraph of his uh, article. Um, he and I'll just I'll just read this here. So he says, "As for the keynote presentation that introduced Apple Music, well, it was hardly Apple's finest keynote hour. The entire segment seemed undisciplined, sloppy, overlong, and oddly off message, and did a pretty lousy job of explaining the product it was trying to introduce." And he, he does conclude by saying, you know, but once those memories fade, the service will succeed or fail on its own merits, which I, which I do agree. I, I think these keynotes, they do have a relatively broad reach as far as these types of events go. But in the grand scheme of things, 95% of Apple's users don't even know that these events are happening, let alone know what happens during them. So I don't, I don't think it's necessarily going to like help or hurt the product or service in the long run, but you know, for people like you and I who actually do follow this stuff close and, and do enjoy Apple's keynotes and think they're very well done, 
this was just a shockingly bad segment. I forgot what the British guy says. Is it if is it if if you ask me, or I found myself asking myself, or was it? Uh, yeah. So John, it was it Jimmy Iovine. I found it weird that they entrusted him to explain like the whole like fake vision for the product, because I like I, the whole thing is Apple needs a subscription music service because nobody's buying uh nobody's doing downloaded music anymore. So Apple the Apple needs a product to compete with Spotify and RDO. They don't necessarily need one because they make all their money on the hardware, but they want one so that they still stay relevant to music. So they had to like create this whole fake like three tentpole idea as though it was the iPhone, which I guess that's the part that bothered me the most in the sense that like it, it's it's a streaming music service. Nobody cares. But they, they tried to make it like, you know, the whole internet communicator, phone, um, and what was the other one? Uh, the artist connect thing. No, no, or with the well, iPhone. Oh, uh, it was uh, an iPod. Yeah, yeah. Okay, iPod, yeah. phone, internet. Oh, that was the third one. Yeah. So with that one, that like they they have this whole new global radio station because it's got the human touch and and everything else sucks because it's just it's just algorithms. You know, I like Pandora just fine, and iTunes Radio plays the same song well, multiple and, times. But anyway, and Pan- and Pandora's not just all algorithms. Every single song that's introduced into the service it's tagged is into the human first. genome. Is he right, yeah. which is done by a human being? But and anyway, anyway, but they, but they allow Drake in, so I think there's a problem with the, G, with the genome. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, but so, but so does Apple because Drake was on stage. Um, but so that whole thing was it was nonsense, and they just had it, it's a it's a new streaming music service that's going to be baked into iOS, which is going to be slightly better than their old attempts. But like Apple has had so many false starts in music, it it seems like they took like because did you ever use Beats? When it was its when it was like actual beats, for like a day, and said this is the worst. Okay, well, I actually kind of liked it because it was like a human curated approach. But the thing is, it all got stale pretty quickly, and this whole new Apple Music thing just seems like they took some of the good ideas there, but also like Applefied it a bit too much, which means it's probably not going to be very flexible or good. Like I I, I don't know it, it's. It's really tricky. I don't really see what's going to make people switch from Spotify unless they just gain a lot of momentum because it's the default. Yeah, I mean, you know, so I feel like this part of the the keynote was, as you know, as Jason said in that little paragraph I read, the reason why it seemed so, in his word, undisciplined is the way it was presented, just with having... A bunch of different speakers and speakers who just were just were not very good. Um, well, I thought all the pre-prepared bits were actually pretty decent from like the actual professional like music personalities. But yeah, but just just the 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 whole Jimmy Iovine Iovine whatever section and then the Drake thing. Like I mean, those guys just rambled and you know, in the case of Drake, he didn't really even talk about the service. He kind of just talked about how he was working on a new album. And <laughs> he Jimmy, didn't seem and, like he cared, and it was awesome. Yeah, and Jimmy Iovine basically just was up there touting how smart he was, making it seem like he came up with every major idea of the app himself. Um, so I mean, th- those two parts of the of the keynote were just just weird. But then you know the product itself. So really, like at kind of the most basic level, what it seems to be trying to do, and I actually I think they explicitly kind of said this was it, it is really trying to be like your one stop shop for music. 
in fact, yeah, I remember now they, they had a slide near the beginning where they had images from all kinds of various streaming and on-demand music services. And, you know, they, they made the point of, well, you know, you got to go to one app if you want to do internet radio. You go to another app if you want to do on-demand. Like, we want to be the app where you can do everything. That part I actually and do think is cool. I See, I do two in concept, but that type of thing and the success of something like that is all about in the execution and I mean, based on what we saw in the demo, I mean, maybe it'll be different when we actually have the app in our hands and we get to use it. But based on what I saw in the demo, it seemed like a total mess. And I, I think the, the best example of that is during Eddie Q's segment, he at one point wanted to change the album that he was listening to. And so he literally used the phrase, okay, and now, you know, if I want to change the album I'm listening to, I go down here to the bottom and I first click on artists and you're like, wait, what? Because when you tap and press the, the artist button, you get this little, you know, kind of carousel thing where you can then switch between artists, playlists, albums, etc. cetera. Um, not, not very intuitive to say the least. Um, so I just, I just think that when you're trying to cram this much stuff into the app, you just, you, you risk making it needlessly complicated. And instead of just being really good at one thing, so being really good at on demand or being really good at internet radio, instead, you're just kind of left with a bunch of different parts of the service that are mediocre at best. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, it seems like a little disjointed right now. Like, if you want to watch, like, music videos, you have to go look for stuff on YouTube and you have to do a whole bunch of different things. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ex- I think I will hold, I will give it, like, it, it's, I, I will try it, like, full, full on for about seven days and kind of see how, see what I like. And it is going to be coming as a feature that's part of iOS 8.4, uh, an update that's scheduled to happen later this month, and it's not going to be an iOS 9 thing. So... Everybody will have the option of uh, taking a look at it. Yeah, which I mean, you know, despite all of the the troubles with the presentation and the way the product looks at first glance, I, I am interested in it still too because, as has been well documented on the show, I, I've never really been super big on Spotify's mobile app. Um, so for me, this looks like a potential alternative for when I'm listening to on-demand music, but... I mean, we'll see. Um, it's it's going to be free for the first three months when it comes out later this month, and then thereafter it'll be ten bucks a month, which is you know ba- basically what Spotify and all those guys are. So, so we'll see. Um, you know, I, I guess just to kind of finish the thought on the whole idea of it being a little too complicated. I just I didn't I didn't I don't get the whole Beats one thing. I just don't. They, they touted that as being one of the main features, and they, I think they spent more time talking about that than almost anything else on the app. And I just, I just don't get it. it it's, a, it's an English-only radio station that's, that's going to be playing around the world. You know, the whole idea behind Apple Music is that you're going to be able to you know, discover new music, cater it to your specific tastes, Whereas, you know, this radio stations, you have no control over what's being played. Um, so it just, it, just, it just seems like kind of the antithesis to what the rest of the app is, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the idea that they want to make it seem like it has some type of, like, uh, curated creative voice 
but um i mean that may that may know. be true but that that curated voice may be completely outside of your interests probably um so yeah i mean i just a just a very very disappointing part of the presentation and and more importantly because again the, the presentation side of it that'll kind of fade away into memory but the, but the app side i, I think it, we'll just have to see we'll see how it works in, in practice but again what i what i saw during the presentation just seemed all over the place yeah it was definitely one of the stranger uh apple events that we um that we've seen in recent memory well is that uh is that it with the keynote yeah i think that's about it yeah i guess yeah that's that's about all i have too okay uh yeah this, this went a little long so i guess uh we should probably button it up yeah okay sounds good